Welcome to the Property CEO Podcast, your inside track to the world of property with your hosts, Ian Child and Richie Clapson. Hello and welcome to the Property CEO Podcast. My name's Ian Child and I'm here with Richie Clapson. Hello, everyone. And in this episode, we're getting... Well, we're getting all lawyered up. We're getting some top-notch legal guidance, all for the princely sum of, well, nothing. Absolutely right. I mean, I've been finding out what solicitors really think about us property people by talking to one of our friendly solicitors, Mr. Paul Sams, and uh, learning how we can work a bit smarter to get a real edge when it comes to the legal side of things. Fantastic. Can't wait to hear all about it. Uh, is he any good? Who, Paul? Yeah. Yeah, he's very good. Why'd you ask? Well... I just wondered if you were going to be um, using him to sort out your, you know, your up-and-coming legal issue. Uh, what uh, what legal issue would that be? What am I going to have to admit to? Which one did you have in mind? Okay, well, I'm glad you've got so many to choose from. I was I was actually thinking about your your recent world record attempt and the fact um, <laughs> that from a kind of Guinness World Record point of view, it was completely illegal from start to finish. Uh, well, I'm not uh, I'm not so sure. I thought it went rather well. I should explain to people that we're, we're currently touring around the country giving a talk on how people can get into industrial conversions. And for some reason, we thought it would be a good idea for Richie to present solo without any adult supervision. So I'd basically been you know, carefully through the presentation slides and I managed to get rid of all the usual sort of typos and rude words that he put in. And I was, I was waiting in the wings... Um, re- recording the event for uh, for posterity, and then suddenly, uh, to the surprise of uh, well, about there's probably about a hundred or so people in the room, including me, uh, you suddenly announce that you're you're going to attempt a world record. Oh, absolutely! Well, forever the showman. Now, one of the things about working with Richie that I've come to love slash absolutely hate with a complete <laughs> passion. Is, is his spontaneity. I think it's a good thing. And to be honest, the crowd absolutely loved it. Mm. So we're about, we're about four nanoseconds into the presentation. And so far, you know, everything's going swimmingly. And then it comes flying off the rails and crashes into a ditch. Literally, immediately after I hit the record button, it was kind of like that quick. I, I thought it was great. So do you want to share with everyone what was the world record that you decided to do. Okay, well, look, there have been quite a few property people who have set world records, so I thought I would just do my bit. Well, right, perish the thought that you might be in the Lefty Audi Club. Exactly. But actually, I'm pretty sure, when I think about it, there's there's probably a a fairly common theme that applies to most world record holders. And that is that they can actually do the thing that they're trying to set the world record for. And rather rather surprisingly, this didn't seem to factor too much into your thinking, did well, it? Well, I managed to pull it off, didn't I? No, you didn't. So, uh, do you want to share with the rest of the class exactly what world record you decided to attempt? Okay, well, I wanted something that I could do pretty quickly uh, so it wouldn't detract from the rest of the presentation. So the obvious, uh, obvious one for me was doing the Rubik's Cube. And did you know the world record for doing the Rubik's Cube is an incredible 4.22 seconds? I mean, that's the shortest time it's taken someone to do the cube. Which is totally amazing. Exactly. So I thought I could slot it in really easily at the start of the presentation just to warm things up. And because, you know, it was so quick, we we wouldn't overrun. Right, we wouldn't overrun. So 
Uh, <laughs> is that the royal we, is it? Because obviously yeah. not, not being on stage myself, I was pretty confident that I wouldn't actually be overrun at all. But uh, anyway, go on. Oh, look, we're a team. Look, most of other property people will set, have set world records for public speaking, and I thought that, you know, that would just take too long as, uh, you know, to have a crack at one of those. That wasn't really for me. There's a certain irony there, isn't there? Because I should imagine that, that speaking for a long time is probably something that you could be pretty good at. Yeah, OK. So anyway, not, not, not only did I do it in less than three seconds... I effectively did it blindfolded as well. Blindfolded, yeah. And and not one person in the audience was remotely taken in by your performance. You, you don't know that. Actually, actually, that's not entirely true, thinking about it. Um, I didn't tell you this, but right at the end, uh, when we were packing up, this very nice elderly lady, bless her, came up to me and she says... Um, how, how does he do that? <laughs> See, told you. <laughs> to be fair, I only assumed that she was referring to the cube thing. She might have been talking about something else entirely. <laughs> well, I, I figure that if I keep practising, I'll get faster and faster at it. So, we, you know, we can do it at every talk. Oh, joy. So, uh, well, I suppose at least on the plus side, I know that it's coming. Um, I'll tell you what, what, if you're going to do that, why don't I get in touch with those nice people at Guinness... See if they can come down and adjudicate for us. I'm sure they'd absolutely love to see a sub four second cubist. Cubist is is that what they call us? Well, I suspect they'll probably have another name for you once they've seen your uh, your performance. But I reckon cubist sounds as good a word as any. Uh, you never know; they might even be a collective noun for cubist. What, like a murder of of crows or or that sort of thing? Well, I was thinking probably more like a. A falsehood of Cubis, maybe a misrepresentation of Cubis. Ah, fraudulence. A fraudulence of Cubis. That is it. Ah, oh, well, come on and bring it on. That's what I say. So, yes, I did do the Cube in less than four seconds, and I did it effectively blindfolded. I seriously think that a sub three second time, you know, it could well be within reach. So, you know, if you want to see me attempt it, just come along to our next uh, talk on industrial conversions and be part of the history. And uh, and if you're not there, well, if if I'm not there, you you know that I've been banged up for a ten year stretch for misrepresentation, and dear old Paul Sams isn't quite as good as a criminal lawyer as he maybe is at conveyancing. So, <laughs> so there you go. Anyway, talking of Paul, let us uh, let me tell you about my my interview with with him. I mean, Paul's been uh, a good friend of mine now for about twenty years. He's one of the leading conveyance lawyers uh, down here on the south coast. A really interesting guy. I mean, Paul's very knowledgeable. Um, what we've done is we've actually interviewed Paul. We split it into two parts. So this is the first part uh, because he just rabbits on a little bit, does Paul? But so this is the first part. Some really interesting stuff. So let's have a little listen to this, and then we'll have a think of a few of the takeaways. So I'm here today with uh, with Paul Sams. Um, we've known each other a good few years, haven't we, Paul? Yeah, from, you, uh, you generally remember me when you're sober. Yeah, when I'm sober. Thanks, mate. Cheers. So I'm here with Paul from Dutton Gregory. Uh, we're going to ask a few questions, and I'm keen. Obviously, I'm keen to know from you then. Um, for developers, and obviously we've got a lot of new developers that have been listening to this, or yeah. you know, barely new developers, maybe some brand new ones. What problems do we get into as developers that you see? Um, I'd be a bit, bit, bit kind to us, but what problems do we get into? We've only got a few minutes, so we're not going to sit here for two days. The, the mistakes that we make that you think we could avoid. Good. Have you got any well, good suggestions? The problem that I find most of all is that everyone thinks they can be a property developer. Yeah. But Laurie Barrett had his helicopter in the 1970s and 80s, and he may well still have it now, because he realised that he had a product that could be really successful that he could scale up. Yeah. A bit like Henry Ford. Yeah. Now, anyone can build a car in their garage if they've got the right parts, but it's going to take them some time. 
and I'm sure it took Henry Ford and Laurie Barrett a few goes to get it right. Yeah, yeah. The first thing I'd say is that a lot of my properties developer clients started out with a property portfolio and they'd have buy-to-lets and they'd let them out and it was all fine. And yeah. they'd buy a property and they'll generally start by buying a house and converting it into flats. Yeah. That's fine. But then they decide they're going to buy a bit of land. And the problem with land is unlike a house or a flat, I would say to them, you need to think not on the two-dimensional plan you've got, but three-dimensional. Classic example, a large developer that should remain nameless decided to do a development... Will we bribe you to get the name? Couldn't possibly say, but it might have a clue from what I said of one of the ones I mentioned earlier. <laughs> um, bought a site near to the hospital and they thought they'd be able to build an underground car park as part of their scheme for about 40, 50 flats. Yeah. And somehow or other, their surveys missed rather something important underground. Yep. So when the ground workers were there, piling into the ground to put the foundations in and to dig up for the car park, they found a very large cable. Yeah, yeah. Wonder what the cable was. Oh, it's power supply for the hospital. So they needed, they needed to keep that then? Um, might have done. <laughs> you know, I think that the ICU might have been a bit concerned if all of a sudden that, like, the heart monitor stopped because they no were power went the car ooh, park in. down. Um, and so they don't have an underground car park. They built the flats, had to replan the scheme. It took them a year to replan the scheme. This is in the middle of the recession as well. So they lost out a huge amount of revenue because someone somewhere, either at their end or their solicitors or their consultants, missed the fact that they hadn't done a utility search. Now, people are used to, when they buy a property, they'll know local search, drainage search, environmental search, yeah. commons registration search, to see any common land. If you're in certain areas, like I was buying something earlier on today in Cheshire, so you did a Cheshire brine search. If you're up in Northumberland or Nottingham, you'll do a coal mining search. Yes. But when you come to first-time developer and say, oh, I've got to do utility searches, and go, oh yeah, but the house next door, that's got BT. Yeah, yeah. I can see there's a power line on the road. What you can see that's there, that isn't the problem. It's what you can't see that becomes the problem. When you dig into the ground, you might find something that becomes a big issue. I know car dealerships that haven't done it, and they've decided that they're going to build a car dealership, and we don't really worry too much about what's there. And they've had BT lines that need to be moved, mm. power lines that need to be moved. I've got experienced developers who've bought sites where they've had to have situations with the electricity board, where they've had to have not pylons, but sort of stays, which have been in the ground holding up a cable. All of a sudden, I can give you a prime example of one of my clients who had a site that they built and they needed to have a electricity pole moved. And if they didn't move it, they weren't going to have access down the side of the property. Well, so the electricity board helped them to ransom, I suppose, wouldn't they? Well, they were fairly reasonable. Yeah several thousand pounds changed hands and they moved it but it wasn't an easy job and the problem is the utilities companies have more power than god himself they can they've got statutes of power to do whatever they like and so it's very difficult to persuade and they only, to they only ever move at their pace as well don't they these utility companies you know. well the thing is if you're a first-time developer and you need an electricity pole moving do you think they're going to move it for you first, or do you think they're going to move it for Barrett, Persimmon, yeah. Bovis, Bellway? Other you, large developers are available. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but we're probably going to our smaller developers are going to be a bit further down that list. This this um, a position where they they go into a site and they're not looking for utilities, doing the right searches. This is and because it, because it's all possible to do. Yeah, it, this done. is really just not talking to the right solicitor. I mean, I don't know. Do you know any good solicitors that can do conveyance and property work? Um, my missus is a great solicitor. You're, you're a lovely, you're a lovely good lady, is there? Yeah, yeah. Are you any good at it yourself? I, I'm all right. You're all right. Excellent. But 
you, someone like you would know that you've got to do those searches. Yeah, a lot of people don't because they don't know what utility searches yeah. are. So I guess there's a, there's a problem here. If you're a new developer and you just go and use your local solicitor who bought your house or, or advised you on your divorce or whatever was, was, was going on, that's not necessarily the appropriate solicitor to advise you when you're trying to purchase something, particularly if you're doing a new building, you've got to dig into the ground. Yeah, well, a lot of sites these days, because people are going out into the sticks more and more, urban yeah. sites are just rare and rarer to find. I gave you the example of the guy that I had who's very experienced and had to move an electricity um, cable. Yeah. He was getting bank finance, the bank solicitor, straight away, well, we want all utility searches done. And he told me, don't bother doing a gas search. I said, why? Because there's no gas. I know that. Yeah. I said, well, how are you going to heat it? He goes, well, air pumps or um, LPG tanks. Yeah, yeah. Which then causes more problems. Now, he, he put air pump heating in. He knew how to do it. He was fine. Mm. But if you're a first-time developer or not as experienced, then the idea of not being able to um, hook it up to the gas is a bit of a problem. Mm. But this, this lack of doing a search can be simply overcome by, by doing the search. By, by doing the search, yeah, okay, so that's quite simple. So by doing the search, but before that, if you're a new developer, so if you were given some advice to a new developer, it is get the right solicitor, the right conveyancer on board. Yeah, you've got to get, you've got to get, it's the same with everything. You need the right architect, you need yeah. the right consultants. You need to think it through. You need a decent accountant that knows their way with property work yeah. because there's uh, allowances galore. Yeah. And it's knowing the right people. I got um, saw a chap earlier this week who's an accountant specialises in VAT work. Yeah. And he claims VAT back. And the number of mistakes that people make on things with VAT in property is horrendous. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So, how does someone go about finding then a, uh, a decent conveyancing solicitor that can do work for them on development? Well, what questions would you ask someone? Well, for starters, I'd ask them if they've ever done it before. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a straightforward one, that. That's quite simple. And if they go no, then be a bit wary. And yeah. it's like, it's okay, I could buy a book. Yeah. That's always a bit wary as yeah. well. I think you go with track record. People who are already doing development work will have a solicitor on board that they deal with. Yeah. I've taken a new client on recently, he's a great chap, really great, very organised, gives me great instructions, although he forgot to send me a two-page email full of instructions the other day of the latest property project he wanted to work on. I said, small problem, because what I said, no address, yeah. if you give me that, that would help. It's always a good start. Yeah, but he'd been using a guy for buy to lets in London for about 10 years, no problem at all. First development site he gave him, he ordered the basic three searches, I was like, utility searches? Yeah. What are they? Didn't really put it to the bottom of the pile, because in, in life, we all have things we don't want to do. Mm. Mine's mm. normally put my clothes away at home in the drawers, and rather yeah. than leave them atop the chest of drawers. Yeah, I've heard that. that that's not good. No, no. <laughs> it's one, one's on the floor. I mean, your good lady keeps emailing me about that, and I'm getting fed up of it. You're going to have to put your stuff away. Yeah, she's emailed not just you, it's when she puts it on Twitter, that's the worst <laughs> thing. But, if you've got something you don't want to do, you put it at the bottom of the pile. Yeah. And I do find that property lawyers that aren't comfortable with something, with any lawyer or anyone, will put it at the bottom of the pile. And when you're doing a development, you don't really want it at the bottom of the pile. You need it done there and then because there's normally a deadline. Because there's not just you that's looking at it. Yeah. There's other people. We're trying to get in, aren't we? We're trying to get in and secure a deal. Or <clears throat> we're already part, we've got, we've got a window of opportunity where we've got exclusivity. So yeah. we need that done. So you think, yeah, those, those, um, lawyers out there that, that, that might say they've got experience because they don't want to lose you, if they haven't got it, then ultimately they're just going to go, not, not only might they not do a good job, they're going to be slow as well. Yeah, because they won't know that way around it. It's like the simple thing of utility searches are used as an opening there. The other things to bear in mind is that I'll quite happily tell a client if I think the deal won't work. Some of my clients, 
one particular that I think of, they experienced developers and they won't buy anything unless I tell them I really don't think you should buy this because. Yeah. And I point out all the problems with it and then they go, great, there's problems, we'll buy it. The one site I told them I think this is great, yeah. um, they've still got now. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it legally, I hasten to add. It's just the fact that the marketplace wasn't right for it. But when you're pointing out problems, so you say, you're saying there, you're not just going to do the convincing work, but when you advise people, so a good solicitor would also better give, you, give us advice as well. One of my favourite developer stories, and he's a mate of mine as well, so he won't mind me saying this, although I won't name him. Yep. He called me up and goes, I don't understand, Paul. I've built three luxury houses and no one wants to buy them. Why doesn't anyone want to live in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. And I said, well, should we just wind it back a second? Yeah. I said, the middle of nowhere is the yeah. problem. But no one's built a house here for 15 years in this yeah. village. Might there be a reason why no one's built yeah. a house there for 15 years? And he did sell them in the end. He switched to estate agents. He picked a better estate agent. But he made the mistake of what, again, I think is one of the things I see a lot of people price things wrongly. They price them because they think, I'm going to make a massive amount of profit. But if you put it on too high, mm. then when it comes to people coming round, they go, sorry, that's too expensive. Mm. He sold them, that one in particular, he priced them too high and he sold them at a decent price later on. Mm. But he kept hold of them for probably nine months when he could have sold long, them three. It? Wipe your profit out, couldn't it? You, when, when, um, when we're trying to secure the deal, so people come and then they say, I want to, we've got this thing, so we've got the searches issue. Let's say we get over that by getting a decent lawyer on board who knows the sort of searches that we want to find. Then we're going to go through this process of trying to purchase it. What problems do you see that come up time and time again with people there? Maybe associated with have they got their funding in place? Have they got all their? Up? It's normally the funding. I normally find I say to people, "How are you funding it?" They go, well, "Don't worry about that. I'll sort it." And then they push. That's me when and you push start me. to worry, though, isn't it? When they say, "Don't worry," is when you start to worry. Well, yeah, because I know. Well, yeah. the thing is, I work on the basis that it's it's their responsibility to sort the funding. Yeah. But what they forget is that most of the time, if they're going to the traditional banks. The likes of United West, Barclays, HSBC, other high street banks are available. They're not interested in development finance. No, not the, the development finance are the companies who are private equity companies mm. that will loan you the money. They'll loan the money to anyone, mm. but it's at a high interest rate. We're talking on average at least seven percent, if not more, one yeah. percent a month. I think one percent a month for a new developer is typically what you get. Once you've done a job or two with someone, you'll be down to the seven or eight percent. Yeah. yeah. And so your typical developer that's brand new to it, one percent a month, it's not just the, if it was NatWest Barclays, what have you, they could instruct me to act on their behalf as well. It's not going to happen with a private equity company. They're going to have their own solicitors. Yeah. So you get and you're going to pay for the nose for them. You're going to be yeah. shelling out Possibly more than my costs are going to be because yeah. I'm very reasonable. I very reasonable know. price, okay. And that is that a point we need to just cover here that you are re very reasonable price. Yes, and, and I'll always look cheaper than the bank's list yeah. because some of the rates I've seen on things are extortionate because they can because they're not regulated. And that's another thing to bear in mind that it's not a regulated loan. Yeah, no, it's not. Yeah, it's essentially pawnbroking borrowing in yeah. a way, and they're also going to ask for an awful lot of questions. One of the things that I was trying to explain to someone the other day, they, if you're buying in a limited company, which most people do, yep. then they want a debenture against a limited company. And I have to say, well, what's a debenture do? I've got a legal charge. So yep. the debenture is against the company, against all the assets. So if you own any pen and paper in the company, that's charged to the lender as well. And they go, well, that's not a problem. I said, well, it is if you want to borrow any more money later on. Because often I'll get people that go, right, I'm going to buy it on bridging finance. Yep. Then I'm going to get some mezzanine finance, and it'll all be good. And it's like, yeah, it might be. But you suddenly need to the bridging company, the mezzanine company could really do with knowing that both are going to exist yeah. or only having one. 
Yeah, yeah. So are people tripping them over themselves with not really knowing the right route and how all the finance structure comes together? Do you see? Yeah. Most. So they've, they've potentially done the deal. They know they've got a possibility of getting some finance, but actually the whole sequencing and pulling all this together falls apart. I think anyone with half a brain cell could go and get finance tomorrow for a development site because yep. there are people out there that will lend you the money. They'll lend it at a price and it's expensive for a reason. Yep. The better the case you put to them, the cheaper the rate will be. Yep. But I have people quite often buy on bridging and then refinance to a, a more mainstream style bank later on, but there's a cost involved in that. Yep. But this piecing together, this not under, because a lot of people will set up. And the advice would often be: is you want to set up, you know, a, a separate limited company yeah. for that for that particular development. The banks prefer that, don't they? Because then the banks are lending to a company which is clean. There's nothing else well, associated with it. Well, you say that they prefer that, but then what people generally forget is that although they think right, it's a limited company, so if it all goes horribly wrong, I'm off the hook. Yeah. They'll want personal guarantees, and then I say to people, "We've well, got personal guarantee. Well, this is fine." I've got a personal guarantee, it's just the company. Said, no, no, the personal guarantee is in your name. Yeah. So, Dave, if you're getting this property and your company's Dave Limited, it's not Dave Limited that's at risk, it's Dave Limited and you. Mm. And the thing that shocks people when you tell them about personal guarantee is most of them, and I say this is the majority, so most, they will say, well, we'll just come after you under the personal guarantee. Because they assume what they'll do is they'll try and sell the property mm. or they'll take the property back and try and sell it to auction mm. and they'll get their money and then they might come for the personal guarantee. Mm. They can just go straight for the personal guarantee. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You're right. If so if you've signed a personal guarantee, it is what it says on the tin. Yeah. You are personally guaranteeing it. And I think what you're saying there, even though there might be an asset in the company, they don't have to go for that if they don't want no. to. They can just come to you and go, you owe us this money, please pay it back. Yeah, and that, that's when you explain that to someone for the first time, it's quite striking. Yeah. I had a couple I dealt with who were buying a site between the two of them, and they thought they were going to go their separate ways. And they were both asked to sign the personal guarantees. And I said, well, you can sign the personal guarantees, but if you sign them, they're not going to rip it up when you leave. But why not? Well, because you've given the personal guarantee whilst you're directing the company, whilst the company's going to acquire it. Now, that seemed to shock the person I said it to, but they realised, okay, yeah, that does make sense, Paul. I said, well, I'll try to make it make sense. Everything you've got could be on the line under a PG. Yeah, and it's joint and several if you're normally in a partnership, isn't it? Yeah. And, that, and so if your business partner does a runner, you, you're, you're in for it. Well, that, in essence, in this couple I had before me, that's what was going to happen. One mm -hmm. of them was going to, they were going to split up and go their separate ways, but they were trying to sort of find a way of acquiring the site because they thought it was great. Mm -hmm. When I sort of said, well, you can't just rip up a personal guarantee. Mm -hmm. But they are, it's the scariest thing you can do, and a lot of solicitors won't understand that. A lot of solicitors won't sign them. And there's a lot of case law where solicitors have been stung by signing them off for people without having made any sort of explanatory notes. Oh, oh, where a solicitor is not, you say where you wouldn't potentially explain, if I was your customer, the, what personal guarantee was and why and I was signing and what I was in for. Yeah, yeah. they just get them to sign it and go, it's fine. Yeah. It's a case of, well, that normally why you have to have a person guarantee is signed before a different solicitor to the person yeah. that's acting for the company, yeah. even if the company and the person are, in essence, one and the yeah. same sold that, that My experience is, is exactly that. So the one we've just done recently, um, we had solicitors who, who were acting for us with the SPV, with the company, and this we had to go somewhere else just to get an independent, are you, do you know what you're signing? Are you happy to sign that? Do you realise they can come and take everything that you own off of you and you know that's it, you'll be penniless forever? Yes, we do. That's fine. 
Yeah, you pretty, pretty much that's what we say. That's, that's about that, it, isn't that, it? That's yeah. it. And if you don't get that, that's when the problem comes. So just thinking, just to sum up in terms of what we're talking about today, there's some key things that you brought out today which is quite interesting. One, one is, is even experienced developers are missing doing all the right searches for the services on the site. Yeah. That's that's Because they think it's, they think, oh, I don't need to do that. I know it's got gas. Well, you know gas is round there, but you don't know where the gas is. Don't know where it goes. None of us have got that X-ray vision we can see underground, have we? No. So that's absolutely key. That's that's quite interesting. The whole um, finance thing is ju and just having all your ducks in a row on that and knowing how it works and knowing if you're going to give a personal guarantee, a PG, what it is, what you're in for. Um, and people, it seems to, to me that what you're saying, a lot of people have a real lack of understanding of quite how all that well, works. What I'll say is people say, hey, what's it going to cost me? And I'll tell them what my costs and the expenses, the stamp duty and the searches are yeah. going to be. But and then I always say, if you're getting bank finance, you need to factor in another few thousand because you're going to have to do the costs and the tick, which means you're going to have to have money readily available to give to me. Because yes. as much as I might love them, they yeah. go, okay, you just give the costs and take. Well, I don't give a cost undertaking to say we'll definitely pay someone's costs, whether or not it goes ahead or not, unless I've got the cash to hand. Yeah. So what did you think of that, Ian? Very interesting stuff. Really kind of inf uh, reinforces the importance of, of getting a good solicitor on your team. And what would be your sort of top takeaways from that? Okay, so uh, first one I made a note of was about those utility searches. So make sure you complete the utility searches. A lot of people, I think, forget these. And, of course, it can be so costly if if you end up with you know, cables or pipes that are mm. kind of in the way of your project. So uh, a lot of solicitors that aren't familiar with conveyancing work for development sites kind of may not have the experience to know what searches are, uh, are required. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. I think the second point I noted is that you need to make sure you've got all of your finance in place and, and run through all of the finance stuff with your solicitor early on uh, and talk through you know, exactly how you intend to fund the development. And, and they'll be able to advise you if, if kind of everything is lined up okay. So, so, so they're on your side. I absolutely. Yeah. Have that transparency with them. I think the other thing that that does is forces you to, to, to look at it as a third person as well so you're, yeah. you're, you're questioning it yourself and i think what paul was saying it doesn't matter if it's not all lined up this is the time to flush that out because he can then help you put things in place if, if it's not sorted absolutely so it's, it's this honesty thing isn't it really with them with your solicitor absolutely right um the final thing that i made a note of was about um, personal guarantees and understanding you know what you're signing up to a good solicitor is going to be able to kind of advise you on that and and whilst uh, it might seem scary, you know, if you've done the due diligence on your deal correctly, and and of course your solicitor has reviewed the proposed uh, PG wording and so on, then uh, there shouldn't be a great deal to worry about. Um, you've done that due diligence. So whilst PGs are are serious documents, these personal guarantees, providing your deal analysis also is done correctly, you've got the right margins in there, everything stacks up. Uh, your solicitor then can confirm that, yeah, they're reasonable documents to sign. It's a serious document, but providing you've done your, your own analysis and your homework correctly, it shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, you know, you've got to get comfortable with it, uh, but ultimately, you know, work that through with your solicitor, make sure that you understand it. Uh, because yeah. as you say, very serious documents. Um, they, they're, they're something that comes with the territory as a developer, um, but because you've, if you do your due diligence and get those, those things in place, then you're going to be in the best position possible to be able to uh, to minimise the risk. And I guess in a way, it's a, it's another thing out your comfort zone. We often talk about that. It's good to maybe be a little bit scared because at least then you're going to think of it very seriously and Absolutely. think of it properly. Absolutely right. Yeah, good. Yeah, the final point, actually, just to um, is to, it, 
kind of bear in mind that you don't need to know everything personally because you are that CEO. You know, at the end of the day, you've got to make sure that you've got a good team around you. Your solicitor, of course, is a, is a, an absolutely key member of that team. But it, it really is making sure that you know, you're the decision maker, you're the catalyst that makes things happen, but you're not doing all the work. Yeah, you're relying exactly on other people right. to do exactly that. Exactly right. Richie, thank you so much for doing your roving reporter bit again. Really interesting stuff. And, of course, really looking forward to hearing the second half of, uh, of Paul's interview, which we'll have coming up in a later episode. Well, you're, you're going to love that. I mean, uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but Paul tells us how we get a free, that's a free £25,000 out of development. Wow. So, uh, so look out for this. It's, it's going to be good. Excellent. You heard it here first. Something to look forward to. I'm afraid that's all we've got uh, got time for in this episode. Hopefully you'll be able to find the time to join us next time when uh, we'll be giving you the inside track from another part of the, uh, the property world. In the meantime, please do feel free to check out our other episodes and, of course, you can visit our website, which is still at propertyceo.co.uk. But until next time, it's goodbye from the Goodbye.